Hello listeners, Kathy Lawless here, Life Story Curator, bringing you this podcast series, How Did I Get Here? A series of interviews designed for people who are just starting out in their careers, who are in transition or possibly stuck, and giving them access to the stories of people who are successfully in their careers, or who might have been stuck at one time in transition, or, or who obviously have already started out. Today we're going to be meeting with Carol Ann Bartz, who is the Vice President of PM Excellence, and we'll learn more about what that means exactly in a minute. Hi, Caroline. Hi, how are you, Kathy? Thanks for joining me. Caroline and I go way back, I don't know, about five years now? Uh, maybe even longer than maybe that. Maybe longer, through the Wise Women Group, right? which is how we met. And uh, so I'm very excited to hear more about her story, because I know her as a, you know, a fellow wise woman, but what I don't know is how you got to where you are today. So anyway, as you know, listeners, we like to start out with our icebreaker questions. So Caroline, let's talk about where you grew up, how many siblings, where you are in the birth order, and how that kind of influenced you as a person. Great. So I came from a very small family. My dad was an only child. My mom had one brother. Uh, so there are two of us in the family, and my sister is six and a half years younger than I am. So I was an only child for almost seven years. So only and then oldest. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, and I was born in California. My dad was in the army at the time, so moved around a ton until I hit seventh grade. Um, by then, he was working in industry, but worked for a company that moved around a lot as well. Mm -hmm. And he decided that for middle school and high school, I needed to be stable. So he continued to move, but my mom and my sister and I stayed in the Northern Virginia area right outside of D.C. Oh, wow. So from one coast to the other coast. Well, in lots of places. In between, in between yeah. So you, as a young person, had to make a lot of friends, had to learn how to make friends early, probably, right. because you were moving around so much. Right. Okay. Now, uh, you and your sister, did you play sports? Did you play instruments? Did you dance, sing? What did you do as young people? So, well, with six and a half years apart, mm -hmm. we really did not hit the same stage of life until oh, that's she true. had her first child was the first time that we were in the same stages of life. Like, my son was in her wedding, so I already had children <laughs> before she was married. I was married before she graduated high school. Ah. So we really did not do much together until recently. Um, so don't ask me what she did. <laughs> um, okay, so what did you do? So I, I am very active, but I stink at sports. So I dabbled in a lot of things. Like I did gymnastics, I did track, but I was never very good at any of them. I did a little bit of drama. Not super great at acting either. Uh, probably my biggest thing is I did. I started playing the flute in fifth grade, and I played it until I was about twenty-eight. Oh wow! So yeah. well into being an adult, and yeah. so as an adult, how did you play? Were you in a? I was in a band. In I was band. in a community band. Oh, very cool. And uh, what really derailed my whole playing the flute is I was living in Washington D.C. at the time. My husband and I moved to Colorado, and I just couldn't find that right group to continue playing with. Yeah, sometimes it's about the people and right. and how you connect and the, and the chemistry and yeah, okay, yeah. So, do you speak any other languages? Uh, despite taking four years of French, and and at the time I would even dream in French. You don't use it, you lose it. Yeah. So I don't. Yeah, I would love to still speak French, but I don't. But anymore. you don't. It just kind of you had it for that period of time, and then it kind of went right. away from you. Okay. Right. Uh, shifting gears just a little bit, on the fun meter, scale of one to five, one being couch potato and five being life at the party, where do you put yourself? Um, so it's kind of funny because I said I'm very active. Uh -huh. So I would not see myself as a couch potato, 
but I have friends who are a lot of fun and I don't see myself as fun. So I would have put myself like fun, like at a zero. Oh no. But when I asked my <laughs> husband, my husband put me at a four, which is probably why we've been married for 28 years. Oh. Cause he actually does find me fun. So I'm, I'm, I'm somewhere in that range of zero to four. <laughs> Should we give you a 2.5? Sure. <laughs> okay. On the uh, risk meter. Same scale, one to five. How about taking risks? So at this point in my life, I'm definitely a one. But when I was younger in my life, I was much closer to a five. Ah. Um, having children really shifted that risk assessment for me. Mm-hmm. As I imagine it does for a lot of yeah, people. Yeah, for a lot of people, they talk about the difference when they were young and single and invincible, right? right? And then, oh, well, now or, I'm responsible for other people. <laughs> right, or if something goes wrong, okay, I can live in a box on the side of the street. But... To have then my two kids living in the box all of a sudden is a completely different picture. <laughs> There's no way that's going to happen. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, being the vice president of PM Excellence. What does that mean? And then we'll go back to how did I get here? Right. Right. So I've only been in this role for three months. So still very new, but very excited about it. The, I work for a government contracting company. Uh, that has been growing significantly over the last five years, which has been very, very exciting. And in our industry, our project and program managers is really where the rubber meets the road. Um, you know, those are the people that, you know, they manage our employees, they have the relationship with the customer, they're making sure we're meeting our requirements, they're bringing the money in the door. And so as part of our growth initiative and to continue to grow, there's now a focus on making sure that those folks are supportive, that are supported, have a voice within the company, and so I'm developing what that looks like for them. And oh, so wow. it's really exciting. So now do all these program and project managers report to you then? They or? do not. They report within the operating companies and the groups that they are assigned to. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to hopefully bring some consistency across the support that they get, um, understanding the requirements from the holding company, what, what they're expected to do and how to do it. Uh, so that just elevate their performance just across the board. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned that give them a voice, right? So if they feel heard and they're bringing up what is going on in their world, right, and and at the front line, so to speak, then um, I know that that makes a difference, makes a huge difference for them and for the service that they're providing. And we have between 165 and 170 PMs, but they're spread out right now among 40 different operating companies. So you're right. Right now they're very disjointed in being able to get their voice up to the senior management of the holding company. And so I am really excited to hear what are those themes? What, what do they need to be successful? And then I'm in a position as the vice president to go get those resources or figure out what those resources are or work with you know, the chief HR officer or the chief financial officer to figure out how to make them more successful. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I would guess too, you wanna to share best practices across some of them or anybody. Wow, that sounds very exciting. It is. Well, that's a little different role than I thought you were in. So, uh, and a little different role than I think that a young person might go, oh, that's who I wanna be. <laughs> right. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's go way back, back to kind of high school again and junior high. What did you wanna be when you grew up? What were you thinking your career was gonna look like? I had no idea. Mm. I loved math, I was great at math, and I loved the sciences. Uh, so when I graduated high school, I knew I was going to go to college, and I went to college, majored in math, with a specialization in chemistry and a minor in biology. Wow, those are all big, heady 
stuff. But I love. But I loved. <laughs> but I, but that you loved stuff. it. So you love the loved academic it. part of it, and right, and all using your brain. And, and I still enjoy those things. Like a lot of my pleasure reading has like biology of belief. You know, just about the science of the body and things like that. Uh, so it still interests me. But when I graduated from school, I didn't want to go to med school. Um, I had a lot of friends who were going to med school, and I just didn't quite feel like I fit that mold. Mm-hmm. But I had no idea. Uh, that's not true. I did have an idea of what I wanted to do. I really wanted to be a sports statistician. Oh. But in the, that day and age, the internet was not pervasive. I could not figure out how to get into it. Mm-hmm. You know, I called sports teams and said, who keeps your stats? And they all said, hmm, we don't know. And I called TV stations and stuff, and I said, where do you get your stats? And they're like, oh, we don't know. <laughs> and after not being able to figure out how to get into it, I then, you know, I took a job um, doing... I, I don't even, I think my title was like math analyst or something, but I was proofreading benefit um, statements that like a, a company would hire this place to give them statements. So it would say, okay, this is how much you have in your 401k and how much you could get and here's what your retirement looks like and here's what your health benefit looks like. And it was the most boring thing in the world. Wow. So first job. Not First very job. exciting. No, matter of fact, I think I fell asleep at work like a month and a half into it, and I said, this really is not for me. <laughs> but you do have to get that first job. Right. You do. I don't know how else to say it, right? You just have to get a job and figure it out. Right, right. So then where did you go? So then a friend of mine got me a job in an engineering firm, and I was building mathematical models for rocket motors. Wow, that sounds way more exciting. <laughs> Which was definitely more exciting. Uh, I didn't want to be an engineer. You know, the company was like, go back, get your engineering degree. We'd love for you to be an engineer. And I said, eh, no, that's not really what I want to be. Um, but about a year into the job, the, the Department of Defense market completely fell out and I got laid off. Mm. So it didn't really matter what I wanted to do because at a year that job was done. Yeah. And that was when I got into computers. Sort of fell into it. I was working retail in order to pay my rent and my car payment and answered an ad, a very vague ad in the newspaper, and got called in for an interview. And I actually started like two days before Christmas to do computer stuff, which was pretty funny. My dad would always tell me I should do computer stuff. And I always said, no, I don't, I don't want to do those stupid computers. And then I ended up being in, in the computer industry. <laughs> yeah, Isn't it funny how sometimes what your parents say, you're like, no, that's you're resistant to that. Right. And then all of a sudden, that's exactly where you right. end up. And yeah. they're like, yeah. One of my other interviews, same thing. You should, you know, the, the dad was saying, you should look into financial, into banking. Banking, banking. Everybody needs banking, right? No, 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 I don't want to do that. He's a banker. Yeah. <laughs> Very, okay, so what kind of computers then? I mean, were you programming or selling or No, building? I was a systems administrator. Oh, okay. So I was on a government contract. I worked for a small company, but we were on the, a government contract with the intelligence community, and I was doing their systems administration. So creating new accounts... You know, if somebody had a hard time getting access to, you know, their files or something like that, I'd be working with them to just get the system to do what they needed it to do, install new computers when they came in, things like that. But you had no computer background training. I mean, did they just hire you because you had a degree and it was math and you presented yourself well? I mean, how do you get a job like that when... <laughs> Honestly, I don't know why they hired me. But it, it was in that day and age where, you know, people didn't have cell phones and computers at home. So math and computer science were still very related uh, in a lot okay. of the programs. So I think they hired me because I obviously had an analytical mind. Mm-hmm. I could build mathematical models 
which kind of went into writing scripts, which is kind of like light development. Um, and then they actually sent me to a whole lot of training, which really helped. So they were willing to invest in you. Um, so they saw potential, then they invested yeah. in you and you probably killed it, so. Uh, well, I must have done something right because I ended up staying with that company, purchased twice along the way, but I ended up staying there for 18 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So as, I'm guessing, not as just as a system administrator, how did you, did you have other roles then too, or? Uh, so I went from being a systems administrator to managing the systems administration team. Um, and so Is that your first leadership role? That then? was my first leadership mm -hmm. role, and I was very young. Like I wasn't even married yet, and I got married at 24. Oh, wow. Yeah, so very young. Um, as I look back on my career, I think that people saw the leadership in me that I hadn't yet seen in myself mm. uh, because I was the youngest person on the team managing you know, men and women who had been doing systems administration for decades. Um, and they picked me to be the manager. So that was pretty exciting. I worked for a very challenging boss. He really tested me along the way. Um, and then being in the government contracting arena, you know, contracts change. Mm -hmm. And I went from there to actually doing training, training end users in how to use their computers, which was also a very fascinating uh, time in my life because computers were not, I mean, I'm, I'm giving my age away, right? But computers were still not pervasive. Like I had one woman come in and, you know, you have a keyboard and a mouse and a monitor. She put the mouse on the floor and started hitting it with her foot. And I said, what, what are you doing? And she said, well, isn't this like a sewing machine? Oh my gosh. And I said, I no, know. it's not. Let's get it back <laughs> up on the table and let me teach you how to use it. So it was, you know, teaching people how to use mail and Word and all of those documents so that they could be productive in their job. Yeah. As we were moving away from paper files. That is so cute. Um, you know, you do think about, you know, what was her perspective? Right. A machine that did that versus, yeah, I can totally, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a great yeah. story. <laughs> yeah, so it was fun. It was, it was a lot of fun. I felt like I, I made a big difference mm -hmm. in the lives of the students. Um, and then from there, the, the training team began to grow, and I eventually then was picked to manage the training team. And being on this government contract where that government organization had a lot of sites, I ended up managing people at, I think it was four different locations as well. Wow. So now you're managing the training team, four different sites, and then how many people? I mean, do you have how many people? Um, I think it was about 16 people. 16, So not okay. a huge number. Um, and it was about that point in my career that I had grown up in, I consider myself growing up in the Northern Virginia area and just so crazy crowded, horrible traffic, horrible summers. I mean, you didn't want to go outside because it was just so humid and so many bugs. And when I, when I married my husband, who was a career army kid and didn't ever want to move again. I said, if you ever decide to move anywhere, I will follow you. I just want to get out of the DC area. Oh. He had a business trip out here to Colorado and called me and said, this is it. This is where we want to move. And we moved six months later. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's where so that's that whole you... risk piece, we oh. just up and went. It was just the two of us. We had nothing to lose. Um, matter of fact, we put a deposit on a house. And on the plane ride back to Virginia, we're doing the math to try to figure out if we could actually afford the house. Oh, so we yeah. just put a deposit on. <laughs> so it wasn't even, let's move out there and rent for a bit and figure yeah, it out. No. no, we'll just go ahead. <laughs> we it. jumped in both feet. <laughs> now, did either of you have a job then? Uh, so we had come out 
for a wedding and during that wedding my husband had a job interview so he had a verbal offer we had like 24 hours before the plane left so we went house hunting so it it was a half-baked plan and I really I didn't know what I was gonna do yeah and did you love Colorado as much when you first saw it as well yes. too and you're like yeah. okay yeah I totally get this this yeah. is where we want to be yeah just the hiking the hiking spoke to me. Mm. I loved it so much. And you can be outside in the summer. Yes. And the winter. Yeah, you can be outside all year round. <laughs> yeah. I have a friend who moved here from Florida, and she's like, yeah, we never went outside in the summer. Yeah. The bugs, the humidity, the heat, it was just, and now our kids are out here, and it's like, wow, very exciting. So, uh, okay, so you leave this job after 18 years then, and or did they extend an... So they ended up... Um, so it was kind of this convoluted path. I was essentially with the same company, but I, I went to work for a subcontractor of theirs to be able to come out to Colorado. Oh, okay. So those are always the great connections that have in a, in, either right. in a government or a big corporation sometimes, right? right? Yeah. So it, it, it all just sort of worked out. I mean, I was very, very lucky. Spent a little bit of time with that subcontractor and then went back to the main company. So, so even though there was a break in service, it felt pretty contiguous. Yeah. And so then what was your role when you moved out here then? So my initial role was trainer. They did not have any trainers, computer trainers out here. So I started up the training department, eventually grew the department up to, I think, about 12 employees. Um, and then it's kind of funny. You know, I mentioned the fact that I wanted to be a, a sports statistician. and couldn't figure out how to get into it. I have figured out in my life that any role I really want or think I want, I'm not going to get. Um, so one of the things I really wanted then is I wanted to be the site manager out here because there was a training department, a systems administration, there was an install team, um, 24 by 7 network operations, and I wanted that job. And I interviewed for it and did not get it. Oh. Were you devastated or were you just like, oh, well, it's just like that other thing I wanted and didn't get? <laughs> I was probably in between. I was really bummed about it hmm. and trying to figure out, okay, what do, what do I do next? I don't want to manage a training team forever. Um, not, not in the government environment. Like I was looking at maybe some other companies, you know, training companies, because now computers were becoming pervasive. And so yeah. there were companies out there providing training to, you know, anybody who needed it. Um, what year was this? Just to give me some context. Um, well, it's definitely before 2008, um, probably late 1990s. Okay. Probably in that time frame. Yeah. Cause computers, you're right. We're just... They were something in an office. Not everybody right. had them at home. Yeah. Right. right. So, and, and not everybody had them on their desk at home. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so I was, I was beginning to look around and then fortunate for me, I guess, unfortunate for the company, the manager that they did hire for that role really just did not work out. So they ended up coming to me and asked me then to take over that role. Oh, So it was not even in my radar anymore. I'd already said, okay, that's not for me. Uh-huh you know, looking elsewhere for where my career would go and when they came and asked me to take on that role. That is so funny. That happened to me once too. I had a job that I wanted, really wanted, and didn't get it. And they brought in someone from the outside and that person lasted about six months and then didn't work. Right. And then they came to me very humbly and said, Oh, and I was just <laughs> like, and I was so blown away by it. Cause I was, yeah, I was devastated. And then I was like, well, I get it. And then, then all of a sudden it's presented. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a really cool feeling. Yeah, it? yeah. It's almost like, and I told you so, but, but it's not really because you're just like accepting what they offer. And... Well, and I looked at it as then almost sort of that easy job to walk into because things were running so poorly that mm. I almost felt like if I come in and work an eight-hour day, 
I'm better than the last guy, right? <laughs> you um, felt like the bar was so low that yeah. you could excel no matter what. Right, yeah. So processing people's leave slips and all of that stuff made me a hero. So it made it a pretty easy job. <laughs> <laughs> and was it the job you thought it was? You know, sometimes you have this vision of what you think a site manager is or what your, you know, this ideal job, and then you get in and you're like, wow, that's not even what I thought I would be spending my time doing. Well, since I wasn't really looking there, I guess I didn't have any preconceived notions. Mm. And even though I had been a manager before, this was a much bigger group. I think I had about 60 people, and I had a broader responsibility, you know, making sure that we were actually meeting contract requirements. And I was managing 24 by 7 operations folks. Um, it was a it was a big learning experience for me. A lot of aha moments in, okay, that didn't work. Let me try something else. Or things like, wow, it really does make a difference that if I show up at 2 o'clock in the morning, the guys that are on that midnight shift really, really appreciate it. And I don't have to say anything profound other than, hey, how you doing? I'm here. What's going on? And, you know, they just... They loved that support. Mm, yeah, because I guess, you know, that shift always gets ignored a little right. bit, right? Right. But they kind of like that, I think, sometimes, right? <laughs> the autonomy of right. being on a shift like that, but then also that they want to know that Yeah, they, they want to know that they're still, yeah, they're still loved. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So, okay, so that was probably, you know, much bigger management leadership role, much bigger divisional kind of thing versus, uh, you know, just a departmental thing. Right, right. Um, and so that contract then ended. It was merged with another contract. So I ended up staying still out here in Colorado, merge, managing the Colorado team and two other teams, one in the D.C. area and one in England, doing the same functions, but now, you know, global in wow. my management. Um, did that for several years, and then I was offered a position that I originally turned down to manage a... Uh, $70 million a year contract that had 16 locations throughout the U.S. and the U.K. And I originally turned it down because I said, well, one, I'm not ready. And two, they were telling me I had to move back to D.C. and I didn't want to go to D.C. Ah. And I was really bummed about that because I thought, oh, this is my career really taking off. You know, having 800 employees, all this responsibility. And I ended up being really, really lucky that they couldn't find somebody else that they thought was right for the role, so they ended up coming back to me and asked me again if I would consider the role. And so I had regretted it so much that I said, yes, I'll take it. So you were willing to move then? Or did, or was there a caveat that you could stay here? Well, no. Um, so I did, I had told them when I accepted the job, I'll do it for three years. My husband stayed in Colorado, and I actually moved back in with my folks who were still in the Northern Virginia area. Oh. But I only made it 18 months. Being separated from your spouse like that is really, really hard. Yeah, I I can't even imagine. Yeah, so at 18 months, I felt like it it was another almost easy job. Very hard because it was a big leap in responsibility. But the guy before me had left a lot of messes. Mm. So after about 18 months, I felt like I had cleaned things up. It would be a nice a nice transition for somebody else to take it from there. So I had actually turned in my resignation because they said, I'm going home to Colorado. I'm going Mm -hmm. home to my husband. So, and you felt like you left it better than you found it. So there is a sense of satisfaction of, um, you didn't make it the whole three years, but you made major improvements. So that, right. Well, they did not accept my resignation. Oh yeah. 
and at that point in time, I think because I had gotten it in such a good place, had cleaned up a lot of those messes, and I was on the road all the time. With 18 different locations, I was always somewhere. You know, well, yeah, so why do you have to be in D.C., right? <laughs> so that's what they said. You don't have to be in D.C. to do this job anymore. You can be based out of Colorado. So I was in Colorado probably about one week a month, and I was in D.C. one week a month, and then I was in the other locations typically the other two weeks. Mm-hmm. So I managed to finish out the three years that I had originally committed to. And then a really tough job. I mean, there were times, especially early on when I was working 12-hour days, six days a week, and I just got to a point of, okay, I've done what I can do with it. It's time for somebody to, else to take the reins. So after three years, I did leave that role. Uh, even though the role I went to was a VP title, it was for a very small group, so the responsibilities were much less. Gave me the opportunity to kind of catch my breath, mm-hmm. reset, and figure out what I wanted to do because that new role that I went into, it wasn't the role that I wanted. It was a role that was open. There weren't a whole lot of things broken. There wasn't a lot for me to learn. So, you know, it was it was really... I look at it, it was the place for me to catch my breath yeah. and figure out where to go from there. Well, you know, sometimes you have those extreme roles and you do have to catch your breath, right? Yeah. And before you step into another one and recognize, do you, do you want that next extreme role, right? Right. right. <laughs> so would you say, you said there was nothing broken. Uh, are you a fix, a fixer? Are you someone that comes in and fixes stuff? Does that give you energy? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, one of my superpowers as I look at it is to, to look at a situation and figure out what is the root cause. Not just, I mean, a lot of times people can figure out what are the symptoms, you know, this is what doesn't work well or yeah. what doesn't feel well, but really look at it and what is the root cause and go fix the root cause. You know, sometimes you, you fix something that seems like it's way over here, mm-hmm. but then it trickles and it fixes all of these other symptoms that people see. Uh-huh. So plus, early in my career I thought too, that was an easy, after my first time following somebody who didn't have things going smoothly, it just looked to me like such an easy role because I could go in and fix it. I'm a big hero. (laughs) (laughs) So you look for those opportunities then. Okay, well, that's a great opportunity. I mean, or that's a great, um, uh, I think, lesson for people because sometimes people are like, oh, I don't want to step into that. It's so messed up. And it's like, yeah, but sometimes when it is so messed up, um, you get to be the hero, but you also get to set it up the way you want to set it up. Right. And you get a lot of, um, I think, support sometimes, right, to fix things in your way uh, if it's been broken for a while. And I, I really think you, you need to figure out what your superpowers are. And that's mm-hmm. so hard early on because you haven't, you haven't tried anything. Yeah. Um, like I never, when I took on that first role to fix it, I never would have said that my skill is to fix anything. Mm-hmm. But after doing that a couple of times, it actually kind of scares me to go into something that is going well. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how to keep that going. I only know how to go fix broken things, right? <laughs> You're like, I don't know how to add value here. So do you typically um, want to just be in a role then 12 to 18 months or three years maybe? That's what it takes to fix it then? I mean, because I, I do know people, because uh, my sister is this way. She likes to get in, clean things up, fix things, and then, but she doesn't want to run things. She's like, once she's running it, it's boring to her, and that's not what gives her juice. So is that kind of you too? or uh, Kind of, except like the company that I'm with now. You know, I'm in this new role, but it's been within the same company that I've been with for almost 12 years now. The company has changed so much, so regularly, that 
there are, there are always new things to deal with and address. So it, it hasn't felt stagnant. Now, I wouldn't necessarily okay. say it's broken, which is a good thing because like one company I ran for 12 years, if that were broken, then I shouldn't have been in yeah. that role anymore. <laughs> but, but, you know, that company started out in the 8A program, which is a small disadvantaged business, and then graduated. And then what does that look like? And along the way, you know, we did have one contract that was just a complete disaster, you know, and so how do you clean that up and how do you take those lessons learned and not do that again? I mean, there have been enough of those along the way that I haven't gotten bored. I haven't gotten to that place of, okay, now what do I do? Um, actually, until pretty recently, and that I've, I've been so lucky then to be offered a new opportunity to start something new. Yeah. Well, it sounds like when you get into an organization, you're able to make, make such a difference that they want to keep you. Right, and find a way that they can keep you in a role that is going to maximize your value. So what are some of your other superpowers? Um, so I am also very relational. Now, that's a superpower, and it's one of my lessons learned that I, oh. that I, I wish I could go back and do differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially going into roles where things were broken, I'm so downward focused in the organization. You know, how do I take care of the people who are actually making the money and making things happen that I have not been good about managing up. Ah. So, you know, I don't I don't necessarily know what senior management thinks of me, but I know the people who work for me typically and this is going to sound like I'm full of myself, but they love working for me. I mean, I've had so many employees say I love working for you. I've had employees say let me know if you're leaving the company because I will follow you anywhere. Wow. Which is very powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so if you make people feel valued, they will just, they will climb mountains for you. Um, but I'm not real good about managing up the chain. <laughs> and of course, if you want to get promoted and you want to do new things, it's up the chain that matters, not yes, down it the is. chain. It is. And self-promotion right. many times. But there's a lot of different ways to do that. And I know you've probably been working on that as well. That's why you're in your new role, right? Uh, well, I feel like I fell into most of the roles I've had in my entire career. I feel like I've fallen into mm-hmm. to include my current role. I had no idea that the organization was looking to create a PM Excellence program. I uh, didn't know that they were looking for somebody. I just got a phone call one day that said, "CEO is looking at doing this, and we want you to consider it." Wow! Yeah, that is falling into right because sometimes people might pitch that. They might go hey, I'm seeing this pattern and this trend, and this is what I think is an area that could use improvement. And, oh, by the way, I'd be willing to run it. Right. <laughs> you know, or, or in some cases it's not. It's, no, someone else needs to fix it. But, you know, you when you have the ear of the front line, right, or you're the ear of the front line, then you're, right. you know, you have those ideas. But, but in this case, they were already thinking it and then right. thought of you for it. Right. Was that a tough decision for you to, to make that that change? It was only a tough decision because I was having a tough time in my personal life at the time. Um, my sister-in-law had already entered hospice but had not yet passed when I got that phone call. Mm. So my brain was not in the game. And luckily, I have several people, my husband being one of them, um, but I also have a, a co-worker that I just trust immensely. So I was able to to get with them and say, okay, this is what I'm being offered and this is what they said about the position. And they both said, oh my gosh, that sounds perfect for you. Why are you even questioning this? Um, and I, I actually honestly accepted the role when I was in the middle of this big fog. Yeah. 
And luckily, when the fog lifted, I was able to go, oh, thank goodness they gave me the <laughs> right advice because I am very excited. I think it's great for the organization. I think it's great for the PMs. And I think I can make a big impact. Yeah. Yeah, I think you've got all those skill sets, the relational part of it, the what's broken, what are the cause, root causes, and all that. I can see how that's all going to line up for yeah. you. So yeah. Very thank cool. You. Yeah, I'm really excited. Very cool. Well, when you um, look back at your career, um, what were some of those pivotal moments uh, so when, you know, people who are stuck or in transition or just starting out, I mean, do you have any, um, you know, lessons learned that you might say, hey, it was this point in my life that I, I thought this really helped me or any thoughts there? Well, a couple. I mean, that one big promotion where I had to go back to D.C., I really felt that that was where my career took off. Um it, because I was still very young at the time. Matter of fact, that typically when people would meet me, that would be their first out of their mouth statement of, oh my gosh, you're so young. Um, and, and I remember. And you're just like. I'm like, I'm just trying to do a job here. Well, and you, you look young, just so you probably look younger than you are maybe, right? Is that, right. Is that a benefit yeah, have, you've experienced all jeans, your life? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but I really, I was young. I didn't just look young. I was, I was young. young. Um, it, but. Like when I left the position after three years, there was a, a gentleman who was a retired colonel in the Air Force who at the time that I was selected was angry because he wanted the job. And he pretty much said, you're never going to be able to do this. And at the end of three years, he goes, boy, I was wrong. You did it. You were fabulous at it. And the company made the right choice. So wow. Really, those, are, those are powerful yeah, words. Yeah. Well, and the fact that I remember it today, it, it yeah. made a big impact yeah. on me. So that was a big push for my career. Another pivotal moment was when I had my kids. And, you know, there are a lot of articles out there over, you know, women's careers take a hiatus when they're having their children. And I'm one of those people. Um, it, and I kind of got pregnant at a good time. I had left that VP, that sort of take a breather role, and I went to go work on this major proposal when I got pregnant. Unfortunately, then I couldn't travel. So most of the work was back in D.C. and I was living here. So the, the company didn't let me go, but I really, I wasn't making any impact on the company. While I was on maternity leave, they reorganized and eliminated my position. So I'm interviewing for jobs, you know, while I have baby brain. I got a job in quality, was not really where I wanted to be. I had my second child then 25 months later. So it really was... This is my hiatus. Let me get my children. Once my second son was weaned, I was like, okay, I am ready. <laughs> you know, what I've been doing, I've been, you know, just kind of marking time. Um, and that's then when I left to become the president of a startup company that's Alaska Native owned. Um, but I sometimes wonder, gosh, if those three years, if I had been continuing forward in my career, where, where else could I have been mm -hmm. besides where I am now? Wow, so you never had the um, the thought, well, why, I should be a stay-at-home mom or uh, no. that I want to stay home longer. You were, no, I, I want to get back into the workforce. That's just... One, I wanted to, and two, mm -hmm. I had to. So my husband was doing consulting when I got pregnant the first time. And so we looked at it of, I have health benefits. I get a paycheck every other Friday. We never know when you're going to get paid. So he, for a while, consulted and was a stay-at-home dad. When I got pregnant with my second, he looked at me and he said, there's no way I can do this with two of them at home. So we shut down his consulting practice and he was, he's been the stay at home dad. Oh. He recently started his own company at my urging. Uh, he has a custom embroidery company. Um, 
but he's still the one that's driving them all over the place and you know, making sure their homework is done and making sure they're fed and all of that sort of yeah. stuff. Because you've still been somewhat of a road warrior, right? I mean, right. you've been traveling quite a bit Pretty all much years. my whole career, I yeah. have been on the road a lot. Yeah, I might be settling down a little bit with this new role. Still a little too early to tell, but um, yeah, both my boys know me as, you know, mom who's home sometimes. <laughs> So um, it sounds like there's been a lot of uh, changes and different roles in, you, in your career. Uh, I'm always curious about people and their, their mindset and their little voice in their head and how that voice influenced them over their time frame. Is your voice critical, supportive? How, how is your mindset in that little voice? I would say that the little voice in my head um, really is focused on I need to work hard and I need to rely on myself. Coming from that small family, there wasn't a big family to really rely on. So I think I have become very independent. Not to say, I mean, like I already mentioned that there are, there are those folks that I go to for advice and to bounce ideas off of, but I really look in the mirror and say, you've got to make it happen. Nobody else is going to do it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of self-reliance. Yes. You know, that's almost in a way like an only child thing, kind of. <laughs> or the yeah. oldest. Some of what I've heard in the other interviews for the oldest is I, I felt like I had to be uh, setting an example. I needed to be more adventurous than my siblings. I had to lead the way. and But for you, you weren't necessarily thinking that for your sister. It probably was just more for you. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And I think probably some of it, too, is my mom. My mom grew up in a very traditional family. So she did not go to college. That wasn't really supported by her family. Um, And I think she always regretted that. And I think she was always a bit more dependent than she wanted to be. And so she raised two very independent daughters. Ah. Um, So almost sort of that attitude of don't tell me I can't do something because I'll prove you wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think your career kind of shows that, that it seems like everything you stepped into was was successful. Did you ever have any real, what you would consider setbacks? Uh, the only thing that I really have in my career that I look at and say, gosh, that didn't come out the way I wanted it to. When I started with that small business, I mean, it really was, it was owned by a holding company, so I didn't have to worry about getting funding and I didn't own it, but it really was an empty shell when I took over. Um, I originally was going for medical tactical training because I'm, you know, I enjoy that sort of stuff. <laughs> And so I did get a couple of federal contracts to do medical support, but I could never get the tactical. I mean, how how you actually use that medical skill in the field, like in the middle of battle, you know, how do you train the troops so that any of them can hopefully have that soldier survive until they can get to true medical treatment? I mean, that's what I was shooting for is that kind of training. I could never get that going. Mm. Um, and we then had some reorganization, and the new holding company president came in and said, I don't want you doing any of this medical stuff. I want you to do facilities and logistics work. And, you know, I had a stay-at-home husband with my two kids, and that's where the risk went, okay, yes, sir, I will do that. And so I, I just never made that happen, and that's probably the one thing that I feel like, ah, I wish I could have done could've that. Could have done that. So you had this vision of where you could take that organization and how you could make a difference. and Right. And it didn't happen. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, but look where you are today. So right. Very exciting. Right. right. I, a lot of times when I look back too on my career, there, like there was one little stint that I didn't even mention. I got hired by one company, and 
on my first day of work, I was already in the middle of my master's program, and they said, oh, well, you have to wait before we're going to pay for your master's program. I'm like, in the interview, I told you I was in the middle of my program. I don't want to stop my program. So there's ding number one. Second day, the boss came in and said, oh, the funding for this project that we hired you for, we don't have it anymore. I mean, it was such a bad thing. I was only there three months, and I went someplace else. So it's never <laughs> on my resume or anything like that. Um, and now I've lost the, my train of thought of where I was going. Oh, but when I look back on all of that, I don't regret any of that, and I would not wish any of it away because it would have changed where I am today. Yeah. And I'm happy with where I am today. Mm-hmm. Well, and when, when you look back on your whole career then, I mean, how would you describe it? Or your, or is there any common themes through there? Um, so very early on, I, I bounced around a lot. I really didn't know what I wanted. You know, through high school and college, I did things like work fast food. I worked as a secretary, things like that. Mm-hmm. So it took me a while to figure out what my strengths were. But then once I hit that, I mean, then I had 18 years at one company and 12 years at another. I mean, I figured out what my superpowers are and how to bring value to the organization with them. And organizations hopefully are changing and growing over time. Otherwise, they're going to be stagnant and they're probably not going to be around. So I've also picked some good organizations as well. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of look at my career has two parts to it. The floundering, go figure it out <laughs> part, and then the, okay, now I'm in my groove part. Then you hit your groove. Yeah. So uh, for a young person starting out, how, how did you figure out your superpower? Trial and error. And, and I think I finally began to listen to other people. Um, like I said, the first time I was promoted into management I was very young Mm -hmm. and I and if you had interviewed me at that time nowhere would I say that my superpower is leading people Mm -hmm. Um, but after a couple of times being put into those roles and then hearing from employees I would follow you anywhere I said oh I guess I'm really good at this and I ought to keep doing this and 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 then once I realized that I realized well that's where my energy comes from you know, it's not doing the paperwork. It's not doing the presentations. It really is making a difference to the employees so that they can give the best to the organization. I kind of feel like I almost don't bring that value. It's the employees, but I set them up so that the employees bring yeah. the value. So you have to listen to them. You have to solve the problems that they're facing, and you have to figure out how they're going to do their best, and right. then you figure out all that. Yeah, eliminate their barriers. And then if you have somebody that's not a good fit, I mean, to be a true leader, you need to put them elsewhere where they are a fit, or you need to help them find something else. Yeah, because everybody sees it. Yeah. Everybody sees it. So you did Did you take like, um, you know, Myers-Briggs or StrengthsFinder tool or um, any of the DISC, any of the personnel, is that what helped you figure out your superpower? Um, not so much because I have taken all of those <laughs> and it's actually pretty funny that one guy who gave me the Myers-Briggs and I said, I already know how this is going to come out because I've taken it three times before is came out the same and he said, but that's not the way you portray yourself. And he even figured out because I'm in that government services industry and I've been there my whole career, there's a certain, you got to be in a certain box. Right, You can't be rogue on a government contract. It will mm. get you in big trouble. Mm-hmm. So it's how do you kind of almost go rogue in the box, which is very different. Um, so he was the one that said, this is why you don't portray the way your profile shows. Interesting. So what's your profile? Now I'm curious. <laughs> so I come up as an ISTJ. 
ISTJ. So you're an introvert thinking. But see, there's a lot more gut going on when I make a decision. I I have told people that I've mentored that if your gut is is screaming at you, you listen to your gut. You never ignore your gut. And see, that's not a thinking attribute. No, but isn't that a... Well, and that's not even a sensing attribute, is it? Because mm-hmm. the, the N on the NS would be the, the gut part of that. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Very cool. Well, we need to start wrapping up a little bit here. What would you suggest then to people as, as they manage their career and they look at their, you know, getting started or in transition or stuck? Do you have one of those that you kind of resonate with that you would like to... Well, I think it's both starting out and stuck. Mm-hmm. I mean, we spend so much time at work and, you know, companies demand so much time and focus at work that if you're doing something that you, you know, you just hate to go to work in the morning, you're not doing the company justice. You're not doing you justice. You're not doing anybody who knows you your justice. Your family, your friends. Absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now, obviously, earlier in the in your career, like before you're married and with kids and you have a mortgage payment and all, it's, it's really easy. <laughs> like that one job of three months, I went, eh, this is not working. I'm out of here. Um, but when you're later in your career, it's just as important. The risks are higher, but it's just as important because then you also have health factors and everything like that. So really, you know, listen to what makes you happy and, and go after it. That would be my recommendation. Well, I think wise words there. So <laughs> Caroline, it's been a pleasure to hear your entire story. I guess, I, I, obviously I can't get your whole life story, right. but uh, just to hear how you started out, how you had that first part of your life and how you are today has been really fascinating. So thank, well, thank you, you for sharing your story. And listeners, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe to future podcasts so that you will get notified of um, new ones that come out. And if you have any questions for me or Carol Ann, please post that on my website, lifestorycurator.com or on LinkedIn or on Facebook. You can find us both there. And um, I'd be happy to add other questions uh, in the future. So thank you so much. Thank you.